The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. This morning we're going to take a look at uh, the book of Thessalonians, and especially chapter 5 in verses 16 through 18, which is a very short passage, but this is really what the topic is all about, First Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18. And this is how it goes. Let me just read it to you real quickly. He says, he's talking about how we are to respond to circumstances of all kinds. He says, rejoice always, regardless of what the circumstance is, no matter how troubling it could be. He says, we should rejoice always and then pray without ceasing, without signing off. And then finally, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the, the word will there is the word uh, that means God's desire. This is God's desire for you, that you would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks because this is God's desire for you in Christ Jesus. He goes on. This is where this verse appears, which is very familiar to us. He says in verse 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It's quite literally, stop quenching the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. You can imagine living in a very uh, difficult time when the church was just scattered and was constantly being persecuted, that, that, that it would be important for them to understand how should they respond to such things. What is their response supposed to be that would glorify Christ? And this is what he is telling them. Now, that what we are going to do is look at this one issue of how should we respond to circumstances, regardless of what the circumstance is. Some people may think it's something very positive. Others think it's something very negative. But he's telling us how we should respond to all circumstances uh, because he has told us what our response to leaders should be in verses 12 and 13. He's told us what our response to one another should be in verses 14 and 15. And then he's told us how, to re- how our response is to be towards circumstances in verses 16 through 18. So no matter what the circumstances, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, he says that you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. But what does he mean by this? Well, rejoice always has to do with unceasing joy. What a command that is. He's actually commanding us to always have joy. In fact, let me read to you from what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. He says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, For theirs is, in other words, those who suffer because they stand for the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Paul says. Rejoice and be glad. Why would I rejoice and be glad? For this reason, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? And that's something that you can't do. You can't create saltiness in salt if it loses it. He says it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then he makes a statement, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That, that expression is very, very strong. It's something like jump for joy, be extremely joyful. In fact, when Spurgeon read this, he says, if slander, he's talking about the way he's being treated, would be treated. He says, if slander is to make us dance, when are we supposed to fret? <laughs> and that's a good question. 
if I'm supposed to rejoice in the worst of circumstances, what am I going to do? What has to happen for me to start being down and uh, fretting over the circumstances? So think of the implications of this. You may rejoice. It's not sinful to rejoice. You can rejoice at any time. The uniqueness of Christian joy, what's strange about it is how it emerges. We are called to joy in times where you'd think we'd be called to moaning and groaning and complaining. For example, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 10. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, that is unfaked. We really do love one another. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, in other words, this is what people thought of him, as unknown and yet well-known, well-known by God, unknown by many men, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In other words, the enemy of the believers wants them to fear things to such an extent that they run from it. But he's saying, no, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And so he says, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, that's sicknesses, in reproaches, when people don't like him and they complain about him, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm feeling that I'm over my head and God's calling me to be something that I don't know how to be myself, he has to empower us to do this. He said, that's when I'm strong. Thessalonica was a place where there was much persecution in that church and all kinds of friction. Yet in Christ, they are to rejoice. That's that's an amazing thing. I've never thought of this. I was thinking this the other day when somebody's complaining about what they're going through. If you were to say to them, so you're really rejoicing, eh? Because that's what this passage tells us to do when we're going through difficult times, is to rejoice. Now, there's there's lots of examples of this in, in the New Testament. Let me just read a couple of them to you. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, So they went on their way. This is talking about Paul and being in prison and in Philippi after preaching the gospel in Philippi because they threw him into jail. And it says, and so they went, um, and his, his companions and him, from the presence of the council who had confronted them and told them to stop speaking about Jesus, and they refused to stop speaking about Jesus. They were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Isn't that something? He says that they were rejoicing because they were feeling so blessed that they could suffer shame for the name of Jesus. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What then? Only that in every way, Paul says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In other words, this dust-up, this trouble of them being thrown into jail, and then that what was happening was the jailer was afraid they had escaped because of an earthquake— and he says, but in, in all this, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. 
And that rejoicing comes about because of the circumstances. But the circumstances themselves are very difficult. And so this is why this idea of him telling us that whatever the circumstance is, you are to rejoice without ceasing. You're to pray without ceasing. That's incessant prayer, prayer you never sign off, that is constantly going up because we need wisdom. We understand that. We need wisdom when we are in difficult times. And so we look to God for that wisdom. Now, there's all kinds of examples of this that we've just looked at, for example. But the Thessalonians themselves had already suffered. They've already suffered with joy. What I mean by that, they had joy, but they were suffering. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul is praying for them. And he says, every time I think about you guys, I pray for you because of your, your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. And so what he's saying is you endure difficult times because you have down in deep inside of you a joy in God. So the challenge here is that it is the always and that these things are independent of circumstances. In other words, it isn't because the circumstances were bad or good that they rejoiced. It was because of what God was doing through the circumstances. So this isn't a carnal kind of joy. It isn't presumptuous joy. It's not fanatical joy or even exhilaration over good things that God is doing in our lives. If somebody came to you and they were smiling and they were saying how wonderful life was and and you would expect to hear them talk about good times, that here he's saying that when you go through difficult times, it should fill your heart with joy because God is using you as an instrument in his hands. Galatians 4 gives us insight into why this kind of joy is independent of our circumstances and why we can rejoice always. First, it flows from something that is above and untouched by circumstances. Second, it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 4, the gospel and justification and adoption are unveiled to us that all of these things are a part of God's work in our lives, giving us the gospel, declaring us to be righteous, and adopting us into his family. So we have received the spirit of adoption, and it is the spirit of adoption who empowers us to have joy in the midst of these kind of circumstances. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is the source of our joy. We lose our joy when we lose sight of Jesus. It's very simple. Uh, we're told in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so what he's saying is, when you walk in the light, because Jesus is light, you will see him and you will know him. And so we rejoice in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. God is my exceeding joy, we're told over and over again in the Bible. We delight ourselves also in the Lord. And we pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Well, it means to pray without signing off. Sometimes when we pray, we pray for five minutes, we feel like we have to say, in Jesus' name, amen, and move on to something else. But he says, no, I want you to pray incessantly, that you're in constant prayer over these things. Here is how we can cultivate a joyful attitude even in the times of trials. Uh, the, the word that's used here of constantly recurring prayer is adialiptos, and it means something that has never stopped. It just goes on and on. It's something that you continue to do. It doesn't mean you never cease with the utterances, but it means that those are just pauses, that you're carrying on a conversation that will continue. So think of the implications of this. This is both a promise and a command. Audible words are not necessary for this kind of prayer. It could be in any place, any time, any circumstance. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it tells us, it uses a word for propitiation that's common in the New Testament, and yet it's in a form that is used in the Old Testament as the mercy seat. 
If you remember the mercy seat, the mercy seat was the place where sacrifices were offered, and it was where uh, the sinner could meet God through his grace. And so this is what we're, we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that God has provided for us in such a way that we can approach him at any time. And even when we're going through difficult times, we know that we can approach him and he hears us and he wants us to pray without ceasing. He wants us to do that. So here is how we can rejoice always is by praying without ceasing. This is how we ask God about those things that distress us. That's what he tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what that means is that God says, I do want you to communicate with me. As you're going through things and you have fears, you're, you're afraid of the way the thing's going, he wants you to tell him what it is that fills your heart with fear. It's like going to the mercy seat. We go to one who wants to hear us. And he wants to know what's going on in our hearts. And he wants to speak to us. He wants to act in our life so that we can understand. Because he says right there in in Philippians 4, when we communicate our felt needs to him, the, the things that we're afraid that's going to happen, it says that he will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we have great confidence that this is something that we can do, not because we are capable, because Christ is capable. Um, John Calvin talks a lot about joy. He says that Christian joy is calm and composed because a person who's experiencing the joy of God is not out of his mind. He is composed in his mind. He's not unduly disturbed by injuries and adversities. Prayer is how we handle injuries and adversities in that they don't weigh us down with grief and sorrow and anxiety and fear. By prayer, we rest in the providence of God. We are talking to the person God the Father in heaven who has control of all things. And so we simply go to him and we say, this is what I'm fearing. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm anxious about. And as a result of that, he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when a doubts assault our minds about whether God cares for us, prayer is the remedy. That's what we do. We go to prayer. We go to, we go to the place where we can talk to him. We can be honest with him. This is what I'm feeling and this is what I'm fearing. And he says, when you do that, when you, when you come to him with those prayers and supplication, and let me just make the point, supplication, it's a word that describes prayer, but it it's emphasizes a specific thing, and that specific thing is a felt need. When you feel very, very needy in an area, those are supplications. You're pleading with God to work on your behalf. So by prayer, we unburden our anxieties by casting them on the Lord. That's what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. This is how you do that. You cast your anxieties on him. You cast those things that cause you worry on him. And the order of it is, because of the way it's stated in Philippians 4, 6, is it's worship, supplication, and thanksgiving. And then that results in peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so he has promised us, not only can we endure, but we can thrive In verse 18, he says, in addition to praying without ceasing and rejoicing always, he he says, in everything give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything. And we need to explain that because we we do face things that we don't like because of the damage they do and the, the people they hurt. In the midst of those things, we do have thanksgiving because we know God is in charge. And so we come to him and we let our needs be made known to him, and we thank him for his care for us and his love for us. 
In Romans 121, it says, failure to give thanks is a symptom of unbelief. This is, this is how you can tell if I'm suffering with unbelief is I stop praying because prayer is an act of faith. We must believe that God hears us and that he wants to answer. And so he says this, that for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That justifies all three of these commands that we talked about, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. They are vital, a vital part of God's will for us in Jesus. These three commands penetrate the innermost recesses of the human personality. The spring from which all outward obedience flows are these three things. If the source is contaminated, fulfillment of God's will in outward matters is going to be impossible. That is the heart of Jesus' own teaching that he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. The true victories in life are won by Christians who are joyful, prayerful, and thankful. If we can remember those three things about this is how we should pray, JPT, being joyful, prayerful, and thankful for what God is doing. And so we can give him thanks for the work that he's doing for us because he is taking care of us. And this could easily be said as being our mission to glorify Christ. We glorify Christ through joyful, prayerful, and thankful activities. Emotions don't validate the gospel, but they do validate our understanding of it. In other words, it doesn't prove that you understand the gospel because you have emotions and you get emotional about the gospel. But what emotions do is they do validate your understanding of it because no one can be dry-eyed and distant if they understand the gospel when they hear it being preached. One of the most wonderful things in the world to hear someone preach the gospel to people who need to hear it. It fills your hearts with emotions because you know that you believe this gospel. You know that it's the gospel that saved you, and it's the gospel that you look to to save others. So these are activities of the heart demonstration of the power of the gospel. The, the gospel has power, and it manifests this power in people's lives, and we can usually see the evidence of it. And emotions are that. Emotions don't validate the gospel, but they do validate your understanding because it impacts you, and it touches you very deeply. And so the thing that we are supposed to do in, in circumstances, in response to circumstances, is not necessarily to change the circumstances, but instead to use it as an opportunity to go to the one who is in full charge of everything, and we pray without ceasing, and in everything we give thanks, and we rejoice always. Those are the three commandments. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. This is what I encourage you to do, is whatever you face, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. And this is why we emphasize uh, that we pray as partners in prayer, because we want to encourage each other with these things. And so this is the way I can encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ as we pray together, is by rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. So that's what I'm asking you to do. When you pray with your brother and sister regarding these things, the gospel, please do it with those three things, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. And God will use it in people's lives. I promise you that. The Lord bless you. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for the fact that you have informed us of something that seems in many ways so illogical. Why would we rejoice when things are bad and difficult? Why would we pray without ceasing when we think things are hopeless? Uh, why would we do these things? It's because we do not think that it's hopeless. We believe, Father, that you know us and love us and that you are right here with us. And when we come to you with our prayers, with our thanksgiving, with our rejoicing, you 
revel in it. You love it, Father, because we are seeing things the way you have revealed them, and we are thankful for that. We thank you in Jesus' name and for his grace. We pray that that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, and we'll give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.